fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Hey, Dan. Great to be here. I am just... I, I'm just so excited for this episode. I, I don't know whether we're going to solve any technology, but we're going to have a heck of a lot of fun. I can't wait. Well, I'm glad that you share. My, th those are my feelings exactly. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure what we're going to do here, but hopefully we'll give spread joy around the world. We'll be our own little Santa Clauses. Um, but before we do that, we got to introduce our third Santa Claus, sometimes the angry little elf we call him. That is Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? I am here at the Fruitcake Communicator Division here at the North Pole, and I'm learning about some very exciting new radio technology. Well, I love that because it's technology, it's with fruitcakes, and it's communication. But I got to tell you guys, when I grew up, Christmas was a very different thing. I'm, I used to know Christmas as a very analog time of the year. Um, you know, you had people that were elves that were building toys by hand in workshops. You had reindeer, whether they were flying or not, pulling a sleigh across the world. You had presents in sacks. You had a naughty or nice list. It was an actual document, an actual notebook. Um, and, and also, you got a Santa Claus going around in every single mall, getting suggestions from word of mouth. He's a man of the people talking to the kids directly. It was very analog, but we're going to talk about this great Christmas special called Prep and Landing, which takes Christmas and puts it right into the high-tech area. Uh, I want to ask you guys, I grew up with an analog to, with, with analog Christmas. When did you guys ever think about Christmas as being high-tech? Denon, I'm going to go to you first. Well, I, I have to admit, I did wonder about that feature of Christmas. You know, when was Santa Claus going to catch up to where we were in manufacturing technology? And what I love about Prep and Landing is it revealed how far advanced Santa Claus actually was. Made me rethink the whole thing completely because a lot of the technology we're going to talk about in Prep and Landing really came before the technology became real in our world. It kind of like was a preview of what was to come. No, I think so. And I, I, there's one guy who's working on the efficiencies of, of the North Pole. Uh, ben, I got to tell you, when you saw this, how did you feel? And, and did it remind you of being a kid planning this, planning the future? Yeah, well, I think the, the thing to think about is for Santa and the elves to accomplish the task of giving hundreds of millions of children toys uh, over the course of about 30 hours, you need a lot of tech behind that. So I, I kind of c come from the opinion that it's always been a very highly technical, advanced uh, production. And we just are now on our side catching up to what the North Pole has. Well, I'm going to tell you guys a fun story here, something I, I don't share very often, but I, I feel that you and our one million thousand listeners, if that's a real number, um, roughly the same number of elves that are in the North Pole are listening to this episode right now. I want to tell you guys a story. I first realized that Christmas could be high tech when I was in third grade and I was in the play called Computerized Christmas, which is the story of Father Time getting a computer in order to keep all of his holidays in order. 
And of course, Father Time being old, he's, you know, kind of out of time, really. Then make a little Back to the Future reference there as well. Uh, he is is kind of screwing up left and right. So, you know, Christmas, uh, you know, he wants Christmas, but he brings in Easter and he brings in Halloween and all this stuff. It's a great play. I'm going to put a link to the, um, to the, to a, a performance. I am not in this performance. I'm not going to put my performance up <laughs> online, uh, but I'm going to put one up there. You're going to love it. And I got to tell you guys, this is the one play where to this day, you know, when you watch TV shows and someone's trying to be pretentious and they quote Shakespeare or they quote, you know, Edgar Allan Poe or some famous literary author, I can quote every single song from Computerized Christmas by by Jill Galena to this day. Sometimes I wake up singing it. But that was my introduction to high tech Christmas. But that's not what we're going to talk about at all. We're going to talk about Prep and Landing, which is a show about two elves who basically prep the house for Santa Claus Landing. That's how they get the name and they use high tech stuff to do that. Now, let's go right into the landing here, guys. This is landing gear that is specific to Santa Claus. I got to ask you, Ben, first of all, first and foremost, we got to figure out, this is a two-elf job. They go into one house and set up the landing gear, but that's not the only house that we're doing this for throughout the world. How many elves do you think, if you had to put together like a rough estimate or an equation, what, what are we looking at here? How many elves are we talking about just for this endeavor? It's an interesting thing to figure out because there's a lot of things that go into this calculation. First, we have to figure out how long do the elves have in each time zone? I think at best five hours because kids get up by 5 a.m. So you got to be out of there by then. And it, you got to start, you probably can't start till like after midnight because then the older kids are going to catch you because they stay up late, you know, playing Fortnite these days. So you got that. And then you got to figure out how long does it take an elf team to do the job? And I think they probably spend five minutes at each house, and then I give them about two minutes to get to the next house. So once you put all that together and you figure out that there's 50 million households just in the, this country, in the U.S., you need about 1.4 million elves just to cover the United States. Now, if you extend that to the whole world, you're looking at more like uh, five to six million elves, which would make Santa the largest employer in the world by almost a factor of three. So this is a big operation, and I'm impressed by the management that there really only seems to be one person controlling it all. Now, I like what you did there. You're talking about the, these 50,000 50, homes in, in, each, in, in the United States. I think it was 50, 50 million? million. 50 million. Now, if you're, if you're looking at what about if we introduce a naughty to nice ratio here? If we up that up and we got more naughties than nice, does that drastically change the outcome, the number of elves that are required? Well, of course. So when we, we see in the show that it seems like there were about maybe two or three naughties on a street. So that's maybe, you know, 10, 20 percent. I mean, that'll that'll get you better. That's like maybe five million instead of six million. It's still a lot of elves, though. <laughs> so do you think do you think there's any incentive for Santa Claus to up his standards and maybe make a few kids that are on the border or on the fence to turn them over to the naughty side in order to save a little bit on labor? Absolutely. It wouldn't surprise me if there is a if it's more of a graded on a curve and the uh, the naughty list kind of gets adjusted based on the uh, manpower of the, the organization. <laughs> the availability of elves. Right. I, I do have to jump in here, though, because, of course, if you're increasing the naughty list, you have more coal elves that have to do work, which I know we don't see them in the first prep and landing, but they do come in in the second one, Dan. And, you know, given the hazard pay of working with coal. Um, I'm not sure, you know, exactly where Santa's incentives are here, right? Like, 
you know, there may be a higher pay to the elves working with coal, so you want less of those. Thus, you know, you, you got a lenient Santa then, getting a little more of the nice people in. That's interesting. What I love about that is we, it's well documented about Ben's obsession with simulator games. And I could see like like a North Pole simulator game. I, I feel like this is coming. It's either out right now or Ben is going to be <laughs> creating one of these or I'm going to hear about it very, very soon. Uh, I, <laughs> I would actually play that game. So let, let's talk about, we got him in the house, right? So you, we got all the elves. Let's just say we got the labor crisis figured out and we got the elves on the roofs. When they pop in, one of the first pieces of equipment that we see are these digital night vision goggles. We've talked about some similar things on, on various different episodes, including our Iron Man episode. But I kind of like this. Do you think that this, uh, I'm going to ask you first, Dennis, do you think that this helps or hinders getting around an already dark house? Do you, do you need light night vision? Is that required? Uh, what, what's going on here? Well, I, I have to admit, I love all the technology in this. I love Christmas, but I was a little confused by the night vision goggles because I don't know about other people's houses, but we leave all the Christmas lights on and I'm afraid they would get blinded, mm. <laughs> you know, because we see that as a problem, right? In many movies, right? When they're wearing the night vision goggle, what do you do? You make a flash and then... You know, you blind them and they can't do it. So I, I wonder if these are special sensitive night vision goggles that can adjust for Christmas lights, right? So they they actually protect the elves. If you happen to have left your Christmas lights off, they can use them to see where they need to see. Or if you happen to have some hallways, I don't know, we decorate every inch of our house. So maybe there's houses where it's not completely decorated um, and you need them to go because they always go check on the kids and do other things. So I, I do think it's a, probably a necessary tool, um, but they, they have to be special night vision goggles to deal with the, the Christmas lights that they're going to find inside. Well, I would imagine, especially if you're going to the Griswold's house, right? Like, I mean, there are lights oh, galore. Definitely. I imagine you got to turn those things down. Or you're going to blow up some some elves' heads here. I don't know if, you know, as Ben being our, our brain expert here, could that extreme light from, let's say, a Griswold-level event, could that shatter the brain of an elf wearing one of these goggles? Absolutely. I think, though, I we should take a, a trick from our... Uh from Dungeons and Dragons, where we know that elves actually have dark vision, and maybe they're not night vision goggles, but they're actually dimming goggles to protect the elves from the gaudiness of human Christmas. I, I think you might have done it, Ben. I think D&D and B&S does it again. Uh, that's, I think that's very, very true. And that's a very important aspect, but I would argue, if I had to pick one piece of technology in this show that is quintessential to everything that they do. It's that handheld gingerbread house scanner because I feel like in some ways it does a lot of things. They've got these haptic gloves where they can detect the, the temperature of milk. They know, you know, it's biometric. They can tell when creatures are stirring. It kind of has all the answers from an informational standpoint. I really like this piece of, piece of equipment. Dan, what did you think about it? Oh, I loved it. I, I had one minor concern. I, I love the equipment. I was a little surprised that the creature stirring um, feature was so short range. But, you know, it's an early movie, and I think this was really in the early Bluetooth short range um, period. I'm sure Santa has improved the technology because it was a little disturbing that you had to open the kid's door, scan the actual kid through the doorway to determine that the kid wasn't moving because I would think visually you could confirm that. Um, but, you know, obviously there's subtleties and kids can fake being asleep so they can catch Santa. So it, you still want that, that digital technology. Um, and it really reminds me of the biometrics we now have, right? You can get your Fitbit that actually monitors you during your sleep and make sure you sleep well. Um, 
And I think, you know, Santa was just ahead of the game and beat Fitbit by by years and added the cool packaging of a gingerbread. I think that that's exactly right. And and what I what I love about it is it, it you mentioned that the cute packaging of the gingerbread. I think that that's key, but it also feels a little a little ergonomic. It feels like it fits right into their hand while still having that goofy little face on there. Uh, ben, what did you think about this? Yeah, I think my biggest concern would be I'd accidentally eat it cuz it looks like a delicious cookie. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but, very close. But I was impressed by the just the form factor of it. Like a cookie is, you know, I'd love to have a cell phone that's as thin as a gingerbread cookie. Think how light and uh, and stylish that could be. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm sure that they have them. I've seen a lot of, there's, there's a lot of really cool phone cases that look like a gingerbread. I actually have a really cool ornament, which is a gingerbread that's been, he's got his legs eaten and his hand eaten and their bones sticking out. And he's a zombie. He's a zombie gingerbread cookie, which is gross and crazy, but it's my favorite ornament. I don't know what that says about I, me. I really wanted to see where you're going with that, Dan. When you started out, I got this lovely ornament and its legs and arms had been eaten <laughs> off. And then when you mentioned bones sticking out, I think you should have led with zombie gingerbread <laughs> that would have that would have felt much cleaner in this case That's not as much fun i want to go back to one other cool feature of these was their sinking ability because that was critical to successfully landing santa in this episode and the fact that you could do this special sinking between the different devices um, I really found impressive and, and a lot of forethought in the technology design space. Well, I think that that is, that is important because as Ben mentioned, there's the fruitcake communicator and, and syncing communication is vital to what they're doing. Yeah, I think what's also interesting, going back to the scanning stuff a little bit, like they detect that there's no creature stirring by like scanning the kid. But then later on when, when, when Wayne is reclining and not doing his job, his communicator knows that the child is stirring um, even though he's not directly scanning the kid. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's more of a, uh, if it's more of like a sinking function where it, it locks onto the kid, but doesn't actually require line of sight to keep monitoring. Oh, I love that, Ben. That, that, that really, you just blew my mind, and I wish I'd caught that. That was, I, I think you're exactly right. What, what about, what if, what if there's a little bit of AI monitoring the biometrics? Like, what if there's a little bit of calculations going on and, and are able to kind of monitor the entire house at once when it comes down? Is there anything possible with this, Denon? Oh, I think so, and I think that's something exciting that we're probably moving to. Um, a little creepy. But, but, but very useful is as you get monitoring of the motion in your house, whether it's you know, through whatever device you want to use, you can actually run AI in the future and, and tell when you're behaving perhaps erratically or abnormally and, and get a medical alert um, much earlier than we would now um, and not require you to like hit a button or do something yourself. Your, your house would detect it. Which I, I know for some people is like the beginning of the apocalypse, but for other people it would it would be very helpful and very useful. So we're we're on the cusp of some tricky things, and I just feel good. You know, if Santa's using it first, then I believe it's safe technology. And if you also just think of it as kind of standard burglar alarm sensors, it's pretty easy to think of how you could detect you know movement or sound in the house um, and get that creature stirring notification. 
<laughs> yeah, the all-important creature stirring notification. Now, when you're talking about creature stirring, we got to go back. I want to go back to this naughty or nice list database because we see it on the screen. And I've always kind of wondered because it looks like almost like an electrical grid for children. I mean, besides being just a little bit weird to monitor the world's children, we're going to put that aside for just a second. But how does one determine who is naughty and who is nice? You know, uh, uh, does this get updated as the year progresses? What are the standards for naughty? What are they for nice? Can you make them up during the year? And, and how does that ultimately, that naughty or nice decision, how does that reflect toy creation later on down the line? These are all questions that I had as a kid that I've decided to ask as an adult to two other adults who may or may not have that question. Uh, ben, what do you think about that? Well, we see in the second uh, movie with the coal elves that it kind of seems like they're responsible for inputting the naughty, nice data. They go and inspect a house and see that there is, you know, a torn, torn up toy and a broken lamp. And all of that gets input through the fruitcake device rather than the gingerbread device. So clearly, you know, fruitcake is bad. So that's how the naughty data get, makes it back. <laughs> um, but I, it kind of seems like it's done the night of. And <laughs> they just hmm. vacuum the presence in and out based on the uh you know what the the coal elves figure out it almost seems like there's a it's a two-team system where there's just as many coal elves as uh prep and landing elves and the coal elves kind of uh proceed and do all the analysis and then the sled gets loaded up a few hours later I think that makes a lot of sense. I got to tell you, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I feel like kids have gotten worse since I was a kid. So it makes sense that they would have to increase the number of coal elves because I feel like there's a lot of kids who deserve coal who don't get it. What do you think about that, Denon? Well, you know, I'm I'm not quite as critical as you, Dan, because I realize... At least cynical is the um, word you're looking I, for. Oh, cynical maybe, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've passed through... I've already been, you know, the, oh, this generation's worse. You know, as, as a college professor, you know, I have a four-year cycle of which I go, oh, they're worse. Oh, yeah, maybe they're so bad. Oh, they're worse. You know, we just go back and forth. I oscillate. I, I do think one of the critical things here that's really interesting is, you know, I'm a suspicious guy at times. And we've had an amazing rapid breakthrough in, in cellular technology, right? And the number of cell phones and towers going up. I think that was a secret ploy by Santa to actually have to reduce labor costs and get more automated um, generation of naughty data and nice data. Because as Ben pointed out, at the time these shows were made, we were getting insight into Santa's operation, and it was fairly hands-on. The elves had to go around. I think, you know, look at all the data that's being tracked on social media, um, on the internet. Um, I, I think Santa's elves invented Facebook, forget the stories you heard about these other people doing it. Um, and then they went on to invent Twitter, Instagram, just so they could track behavior. And unfortunately, I think kids around the world tend to fall for it and post things they shouldn't if they want to stay on the nice list. So you think Santa is more a data collection, data preservation company than he is? A, a, the toys are just kind of a front for what he's doing. Well, the, the toys are the consequence. But yeah, his main, his main operation is the data collection piece. Well, now let's talk about toys for a second here, because one of the other kind of cool things that I really liked in this episode is when they come down and they've kind of realized they've either neutralized the threats or they've, you know, they've realized who's sleeping, who's not. They've made their assessment. They have to figure out whether the present will fit under the tree. And they got this cool little handheld device that puts out a little hologram of the, of an image of the size of the present. I really like this. And, and Denon, I know you're really into holograms. What did you think about this little handheld piece? 
Well, I, I love the the projector, the hologram projector of the toy. That was awesome. I was a little disturbed that they would then cut my tree if it didn't fit. Um, particularly, you know, if back at, as, a, as a child, we had live trees. And I don't know that I would have minded or really noticed because, you know, the tree goes out at the end of, of, of the time. Um, having switched to Southern California and having a fake tree, um, having branches cut seems a little more permanent and, and you know, kind of dramatic a solution rather than maybe placing the present somewhere slightly different where it fits. But I, I, I loved the hologram projector, Dan. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I think it's a great way to make sure it's, it's for accuracy, right? Oh, it's definitely for accuracy. I just, like I said, I love the accuracy. I love the projection. It's a very clever idea, right, to actually do a 3D projection the way they did into space and not on a screen. We've talked about that in a lot of episodes. And I would encourage people, this is the first episode you heard, to go back because um, we've solved a lot of this projection problem, whether it's in Star Trek universe or whether it's Mysterio, lots of places. But then, like I said, just a little disturbing to go cutting a tree and not just putting the present somewhere else. I think you're exactly right. But you got to think about how fast Santa's got to be delivering these presents. He's going to a lot of places and any friction, you know, that 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 presence probably landing at hundreds of miles an hour. And if it's going to hit the tree, it's going to cause some real damage. So you got to you got to have a clear landing. I think that's I think that's right. And I think, you know, accuracy is the key here. And Ben, I think you're, you're, you you nailed it. You got to put these things right in the right spot. It's got to fit, man. It's got to fit. So I'm not for real trees. I'm a plastic tree guy myself. So I don't want my tree getting cut up. But hey, if it makes Santa's life easier, he's the one hauling presents around all over the world. I want to make his life about as easy as I can. I will say one thing, Dan, on that. I like that the new elf, when he makes the mistake and cuts way more of the tree than he should, he hides the bad spot against the wall. <laughs> yeah, he does a great job with that. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah, I, I'm sure for artificial trees, they probably just, you know, uh, use like a jack and, you know, lift it up a little bit or something rather than cutting it. <laughs> I, I'm sure they wouldn't damage your the uh, artificial trees. Yeah, they've been through this before. They got to do this a couple million times. They know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they've, done, they've gone through the rigmarole before. So one of the other things, now this one is probably our most controversial piece of, uh, I want to say weaponry. I'm going I'm to go that far, in their arsenal. And that is this ornament that can put both kids and dogs to sleep almost instantaneously. This seems almost like terrifying technology. I don't know, maybe I'm overstating it a little bit. Is that hyperbole, yes or no, Ben? I would say so. Uh, something that can <laughs> knock a dog or a kid out instantaneously that isn't fairy dust Santa magic like it's shown in the movie. Uh, that's not good. That's like, you know, chloroform or ether or something. Like, that's that's not a good thing to put in a kid's face. <laughs> yeah, I had written down that my, my I thought it might be aerosol chloroform. Uh, <laughs> that was my thing. What did you think about that, Tenet? Well, c- clearly, you know, I just have to say, you guys, um, I, I think I can safely say I've never had kids. This is a wonderful device. Um, anything that instantly puts a kid to sleep when you need to. Um, wish I had one of those. Never did. Um, what I loved about it, though, is whether it's fairy dust or aerosol chloroform, whether the actual chemical is safe or not, I love the delivery design that it really did just show up in a very narrow area or elves were immune to it. I couldn't quite tell, right? Because when they go after the dog and the kid, I think, in both cases, there's an elf very close by. Um, and you really just take out the animal or kid that you want. And that was my first thought was, how would you design a delivery 
where either the dosage was so precise or the radius of dispersal was so precise. So it's an interesting kind of delivery system there, I think. There's a cool tech. It's it's definitely targeting because we see in the second one that the the newbie elf does get knocked out with his own his own knockout ornament. <laughs> okay, that that's good. That's good to know that it's a delivery system and not just that elves are immune. Yeah, they did have kind of like a very Batman sixty six kind of feel to to it. You know, it's a little wonky. Now, I, I will say this got me thinking about one device. This may be a future episode, but in Back to the Future, Doc puts Jennifer to sleep with a little sleep inducing alpha rhythm generator. I believe is what he calls it. I don't think that's what's going on here, but I love that. How about I got a couple other things for this though chamomile, lavender, melatonin, these are all things that help someone go to sleep. That feels a little more Santa's style than ether or aerosol chloroform, although I don't know. I got another one for you guys. We live in California. Cannabis is, is legal. Non-THC cannabis derivative, something like that, that can kind of calm them out and chill out these kids really quickly. I'm not saying it's ethical, but I'm saying it possibly is effective. I don't know. That That's where I'm going with this uh, as my guess. So let's talk about the last thing here. If we're... we're we're trying to pull off one of the toughest endeavors in human history, and that's delivering presents all across the world. You got to have a central communication center. That's what we've talked about. Communication's the key here. I love this Star Trek like bridge, this communication tower, where almost like NASA. Uh, they're coordinating the efforts across the world, communicating with millions, five million, six million elf teams across the world. Ben, you've done a lot of time launching rockets and building them and launching them. What do you think about this setup? I really liked the control tower. I felt it really got the emotion and feeling of a control room during a rocket launch when you have all the elves just on pins and needles as Santa's tr- about to take off and then successfully takes off. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Although I, I would feel, I would hope that because it's magic, they would trust the system more that he'd be able to take off every year. Uh, it makes me worry about has he not taken off sometimes? Like what's going on there? Well, I do have to say my favorite moment probably was when they revved up the engines. Um, I love the elf <laughs> revving the engines by yelling at the reindeer and getting them revved up. Um, that was that was sort of a classic moment, um, but it very I thought a very well designed, lots of ergonomically comfortable things. You know, we we we've done a whole series on Star Trek episodes, as our listeners are well aware, um, and I felt this was one of the nicer bridges compared to say some of the Star Trek command bridges that we've seen. No, I agree with you. And one of the things that I love about this is we we see them complete the task and we also see the people get really excited who are running it there. I just recently watched the touchdown on an asteroid. I don't know if you guys saw this NASA touchdown on an asteroid recently. And I stayed up and watched it, including their infomercial for like 45 minutes before the actual touchdown. And what was disappointing is they didn't actually show the touchdown itself. They just showed all of these uh, all of these NASA scientists jumping up and going crazy as if that was the exciting part. And while that's fun to see human emotion. God knows I love human emotion, but you want to see the event. You want to see the touchdown on the asteroid, just like you want to see Santa touchdown on the roof and land and go and do the business down the chimney. Uh, and, and I think that's all centrally located in this bridge. I loved it. Um, but I think we've covered a lot of this stuff, but if I didn't, I got a perfect section for it. Is there, if there's anything we missed, let's talk about it in our errors, additions, and omissions section. Denon, did you have anything from Prep and Landing? I do. I just love the whole technology around landing Santa's sleigh on the roof. Um, it's so much like a plane on an aircraft carrier. Um, 
I think the forces and everything is the same. The roof is so much shorter than an aircraft carrier. For me, this is a material science problem in two two very um, interesting directions. It's like locating the cable and fixing it to the roof, and then the cable not breaking and stopping. Um, some great material science there, particularly since the little mini snowman can apparently hold onto the roof well enough to stop the sleigh, but this must have been some storm because I can't hold up in the wind of that storm. And the elves are able to rig together another system and amazing parachutes on those elves that stop the sleigh. The whole material science around stopping that sleigh on the roof, both the way it's supposed to go and the way they do it when everything goes wrong, I just love that part of the show. I think that that's great. I mean, I got to tell you, I thought that it would be a little more prepared. That can't be the first blizzard or heavy storm that Santa's encountered, uh, especially because he does live in the North Pole. But anyway, I digress. Ben, did you have anything from Prep and Landing? Yeah, so there are two. There are a few few things I really liked about. First was the the elf parachute hats. I love how they, you know, they, they kind of halo jump uh, down, and then but you know their parachutes self repack, which I th- is amazing. That's a technology. We still don't have. That would be something we should steal from Santa one of these days. The other thing, though, that he needs to steal from us is uh, better programming. Uh, when the fruitcake uh, in the second one has its antenna broken, and for some reason that's causing every child to be judged naughty, you know, I, I'm worried by a system where if one device gets disconnected in a bad state, then all of a sudden the entire uh, state of the list changes from nice to naughty that seems like uh you need some better qa on your uh, server code there i agree with you i will tell you that old christmas lights when one christmas light went bad the entire string went out and i feel like they're working on kind of almost christmas light technology with those fruitcakes uh but speaking of fruitcakes i think at some point we should do an episode analyzing fruitcakes these things seem to almost defy nature with their longevity uh i think they're incredible i've never really had one but they seem like just an amazing phenomenon and no one mentioned thrasher the 19th reindeer what a name uh i loved him in the allusion to ice that was really great great Now, I think we've learned how each house Santa visits is prepped for his ultimate arrival, which is exciting, which is an exciting look behind the curtain. But if we've missed anything about Prep and Landing Santa, anything like that, uh, you can get in touch with the show. We're on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT, but you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, people can find me at Den and Michael. Just flip my name around on Twitter and Instagram. And then on Facebook, you put a prof in there. It's at prof Den and Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at bseepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found at Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind and on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn. Now, I will tell you, elves play a quintessential role in Santa's workshop. But if you find yourself in possession of a thousand hardworking elves willing to make toys, mine coal and even attach landing gear to every applicable house in the world, you got to be responsible with them. You can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Remember, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? 
The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening